Hello, one and all, to this. What day is it? What day is it? Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. We are very excited to be here today. Very fun show. As you know, it is Mock Draft 3.0 Day. Yes, Mock Draft 3.0 Day is here. I am very excited, and we will get to that very, very soon. But I would like to start off the show with the NBA All-Star Game. is taking place right now between Team LeBron and Team Kevin Durant. And for those who are wondering about the skills competitions, three-point competitions, uh, yeah, <laughs> I am as well. I am 100% as well because I haven't really been seeing anything on social media. <laughs> I see, I just saw the All-Star game was starting. I didn't, I, I, I didn't even know it was starting yet. And then all of a sudden I'm seeing highlights on Twitter from the game going on. And this All-Star weekend, maybe it's just me being bad. I don't know. Maybe just me not being very attentive, I guess. But I've been horrific at trying to figure out when all of this stuff is going on. I didn't realize that they were doing everything on the same day this year. They usually do it on the Saturday before the All-Star Game, Skills Contest, the Three-Point Contest, and the Dunk Contest. It's what you do the day before the NBA All-Star Game. This year, they did it all on the same day, which I guess makes sense. There's no fans there, so... I don't know. It's a it's a mess. A lot of the players were confused about the All-Star game as well. I was one of the people that was also very confused by the All-Star game. But yet, here we are. Demonis Sabonis, for those of you who are wondering, won the skills contest. And then we had, of course, Steph Curry winning the three-point contest. I don't remember who I said would win that. So with you think, you know, the natural progression of all of this is to go from skills contest three-point contest to dunk contest. But then I start seeing, as I said, just start seeing highlights on Twitter of the NBA All-Star game. So I was <laughs> I was very thrown back a little bit. I was like, wait, did they actually kill off the NBA dunk contest before it even started? I mean, I would be all for that, to be 100% honest with you, but I, I was surprised that there was no dunk contest, <laughs> at least at this point. It, again, that's on me for being bad at following the timetable of events for this All-Star weekend. Because, again, I thought everything was going on last night, Saturday. I was very confused about, <laughs> about all of this. And then now I've looked it up because I was wondering, I was actually very curious on whether or not the dunk contest did, in fact, get canceled like I thought it should be. Because you see all these people that declined invitation. Apparently, Anthony Edwards declined an invitation. Jalen Brown declined an invitation. Zion Williamson declined an invitation. I'm sure there's more on that as well. Zach Levine obviously declined an invitation as well because he's not doing Aaron Gordon. Basically X'd off his future commitments to the dunk contest the last year after not winning it. He's got to feel very bad about not winning at least one dunk contest. But you know, our boy Zach Levine has won two of those things. And he had a chance to win a three-point contest as well. But of course, Steph Curry won it. And I know, I th I think I said... Zach Levine would win the three-point contest just on a bias standpoint, but Steph Curry's the greatest shooter of all time, as we all know. And it was a very stacked three-point competition roster, but I'm not surprised at all that Stephen Curry won the three-point contest, okay? Now, the dunk contest, I found this out 
probably a minute before the show started, or even you could say during the show if you really wanted to, I found out that the dunk contest is actually taking place at halftime of the NBA All-Star Game. Halftime of the NBA All-Star Game is when we're throwing in the dunk contest. So this is very interesting. Now we've got Obi Toppin taking place. He's one of the high-flying rookies. That was basically how he won Player of the Year in college basketball last year. It was just all of his dunks. Because when you play at Dayton, you're not really playing the toughest of competition. You got to get something to make you stick out a little bit. And the amount of dunks that he did, it's fair. That's very, that's very fair. It's what you're known for is the dunk contest. Or is dunking. So it makes sense for him to go to the dunk contest. You also got Cassius Stanley from the Indiana Pacers and Anthony Simmons from the Portland Trailblazers all taking place in the dunk contest. And I've already said I think Obi Toppin will win. I saw on Instagram a couple days ago, they were saying Cassius Stanley would win the dunk contest, but this could also, maybe he does win it, but this could just go down to the fact that I'm very, what do you call it? Bad at following the NBA this year outside of the Chicago Bulls. So I don't know who a lot of these players are. I Years ago, I would have been told, be able to tell you who exactly these players were, where exactly they went to college, but now dunk contest is dying, and Logan hasn't really been following the NBA that closely, or basketball in general. Now, I will say this. I did watch the entirety of Iowa versus Wisconsin. So, there. That is my second game I have watched the entirety of this season for Iowa basketball. So, I am a big-time Iowa basketball fan. It was senior day at Carver Hawkeye Arena. The Hawks come out victors there. Luka Garza's number got retired, unsurprisingly, as he's the greatest Iowa Hawkeye basketball player on the men's side of all time. So I could get the argument of Megan Gustafson versus Luka Garza for the greatest all-around basketball player of all time. I know that's going to be a hot-button topic in Iowa Hawkeye circles on who's the greatest of all time between those two. And then some people might still want to throw in, you know, Roy Marble, BJ Armstrong still has a say in some of this as well. So maybe those people want to still talk about those guys. But it was a very fun game to watch. Joe Wieskamp got hurt. The length of his injury I have not seen yet, but he was in a boot. It was a little ankle injury. He was looking very good before the ankle injury. He was in a boot, but I think that's just precautionary. I don't know how serious it actually is, but time will tell on that and when he will be available for the Big Ten tournament where Iowa is the three seed. And with Michigan losing today, now I'm pretty sure they're still the one seed in the Big Ten tournament. They lost to Michigan State. Apparently, even though Drake lost their conference final tournament against Loyola, Drake will go into the tournament because of Michigan State beating Michigan. At least that's what people are talking about. Usually, unless you're a dominating sub, what, sub-major conference team like Drake, you need to be ranked extremely high. Like the 2008 Drake Bulldogs. If I mean, they were going to win the Missouri Valley Conference tournament anyways because they were so dominant. But if they didn't, that would have been an example of a team that would have still made the tournament regardless of them winning the tournament or not. Like you and I, last year, they were a dominant team. I know that's not really showing this year because A.J. Green's out, lost two very valuable players in Spencer Haldeman and Isaiah Brown. That's a very big loss for these teams. Spencer Haldeman from the shooting side, Isaiah Brown from the defensive side of things, and the athleticism. He was the most athletic player on the UNI Panthers basketball team ever since he's really been at UNI. Those two are gone. 
You and I's got a lot of youth. They're very talented, but have a lot of youth. So I think they could actually be back to their normal selves this year. AJ Green being out is a big thing because obviously he's the best player in Missouri Valley Conference when he's going. But if he's not playing and you're a team that relies very heavily on AJ Green scoring, it's going to hurt you a little bit. I think they'll be fine next year. I think Bowen Bourne with his first year under his belt will be even better next year. He had a decent year this year. And Heisey, another freshman, he was named to the conference, all-conference freshman team. So they're, they're talented. They'll be back next year. Be competing with Drake. I don't know if Drake will be this good next year. I don't know if Darren DeVries will be at Iowa State or not next year. But that's where it looks like he will be ending up. Because I would be absolutely shocked if Steve Prohm was back or brought back as Iowa State's head coach next season. Because goodness gracious, are the Cyclones bad. Like, this is bad, bad Iowa State basketball. This is the worst Iowa State team ever. It has the 0-18 in conference play. 2-21. 2-21 on the season. That is some impressive stuff from the, from the Iowa State Cyclones. Their two wins came against Jackson State and Arkansas Pine Bluff. That's not ideal. I'll just say it like that. It's just, it's not ideal. It's not very ideal. And then they had a hard season last year, 12-20. and 20. So this is back-to-back 20-plus lost seasons. And last year, oh, goodness gracious. It was just a hard season in general. They lost to Florida A&M at home. That kind of just started this whole downward trend for Iowa State basketball. Because ever since then, since that loss to Florida A&M, they have won one, two, three, four, five, seven games. Since that one loss, that is not—that's not the. That's not what we're trying to do here, at Iowa State. And I would be again, I'd be shocked, even though I haven't really been following college basketball this year. I would be absolutely floored if Steve Prohm was brought back as Iowa State's head coach, and I would also be decently shocked if Darren Devries wasn't brought in to replace. Steve Prohm. Now, DeVries played at UNI. His family are Iowa Hawkeyes. He is now coached at Drake. Would he cut all family ties by joining forces with the Iowa State Cyclones? Would he actually do that? Time will tell. I think it's very likely that he becomes Iowa State's head coach next season. So who replaces him at Drake remains to be seen. What if they want to go after someone like Adam Emenecker? Or someone like that. What if they're, What if he's waiting in the wings to be the next great Drake basketball coach? He's doing some analysis work for the Missouri Valley Conference. I don't know how much he's been doing of that, but I've seen him pop up on some of their stuff they've done. If he wants to be a basketball coach or not, he's obviously a very smart basketball player. He's the, the focal point of that Drake team as Jethro's has a sandwich named after him. Now, there's also some very good Drake players on that team, but he was the main guy of that team, but for Drake this year, I think, my, my gut's telling me they're not going to make it, even though they've only lost four games this year, my gut tells me they're not, but man, I'd, I'd feel really bad for the Drake Bulldogs and their players if they did not make their make the NCAA tournament this year, because there's going to be some teams that opt out of the tournament, I would assume, but Drake has lost some 
let's just call it interesting games in their four losses this season. So obviously they just lost to Loyola this game, but they lost to Valparaiso, lost to Bradley, and lost to Loyola another time during the season for four losses. Bradley is 12-16 and 16 on the season. That's not great. That is not great. Valparaiso is 10-18 and 18 on the season. So do I think Drake should make it? Yes. Do I think they will? I am like 50-50 on that one. Because I thought you and I was a shoo-in to make the tournament regardless of what happened last year. But from what it sounded like, you and I would have been very hard-pressed to have made the tournament. And Drake, in this game, to their defense, I guess, they were without two of their best players. So this was a big uphill climb for the Drake Bulldogs. Now, they did get a basically a pass because they didn't have to play the UNI Panthers in the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna even attempt to try and talk about that situation for the UNI Panthers and the Drake Bulldogs. That game getting just flat out canceled instead of getting, you know, delayed or postponed or whatever your verb or word. Not, I don't know if it's a verb. That's oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have. I even thought about not saying that. Oh, I regret that now. Oh, I regret that now. But whatever word you want to use to describe that. It's weird. Let's just put it like that. And you and I, I don't know if they were going to win the game, but I was feeling decently confident for the Panthers going into that game. They played Drake decently tough the last time those two teams played, and Drake without their two best players would have been... I'm not saying you and I would have won, but it would have been competitive and been really fun to watch. So I don't know. But Drake, I hope they make the tournament. Iowa is obviously making the tournament. Iowa State and you and I are obviously not making the NCAA tournament this year. But... See how Iowa State moves on. Because you and I, they're going to be back to normal next year, one would assume, with A.J. Green coming back and being more experienced. Because they had a lot of young players on this team. Not only did they lose great experience, they had a lot of freshmen playing meaningful minutes for this team. Or even true sophomores. Not a lot of experience playing in these games. Getting A.J. Green back will be massive for the UNI Panthers. And I think only Trey Burhau is leaving after the season. I don't even know if the season counts. He could come back, I guess. So you and I could just run it back with this exact same team of AJ Green back, and I'd feel fairly confident going into the season. And where Darren DeVries and his Cyclones go next year, I don't know what they'll do. It's gonna it's it's hard to bounce back from two and twenty one. It's a very hard record to you know try and turn around. But hey, if if Fran McCaffrey can take over for Todd Licklider and make the Hawkeyes the fifth-ranked team in college basketball. Now, it took a while, but they're fifth-ranked in college basketball, and we're competing for years. Ever the, Most of the time, he's been in Iowa. There's been a couple years where they haven't, but the, most of the time, they've been competitive in the Big Ten and competitive in tournaments. So, hey, you know, Todd Licklider's Iowa team, Steve Prohm's Iowa State teams, they're not, they're not too dissimilar. Looking at it from the outside in. I watched a lot of those Todd Licklider basketball games in Iowa. I was there at his first game at UNI when he was coaching Evansville. And my friend Noah and I, who we missed maybe one basketball game last year. Noah and I did. We went, we were strict at going to these UNI basketball games last year. And we sat right behind the Evansville bench just trying to to touch the illustrious Todd Licklider and was hoping John Licklider 
was somewhere around there. <laughs> His awesome son, John Licklider. If you haven't seen it, go and watch the Hazel Dazzle production about John Licklider. Because, oh, it's fantastic. It, it's basically someone's someone recorded it on their phone and just uploaded it to YouTube. Because, you know, that's what a lot of old YouTube videos are. But still, it doesn't take away from the masterpiece that is that Hazel Dazzle production. It's my favorite one, by far. It's, it's, it, it sums up every single Iowa fan's perspective on the whole John Licklider and Todd Licklider situation. Oh, man. But yeah, Drake, I hope they make the tournament. All, all in all, I hope Drake makes the tournament. And while we're talking about Missouri Valley Conference, we did have some Missouri Valley Conference football this weekend. The UNI Panthers beat the Illinois State Redbirds 20-10. to Oh, man. When I went, I went to this game, first UNI Panthers game, first live sporting event I've been to in a while, and it was very fun to go back to be at a live sporting event. I love going to the Dome. This was the first, the first game of the season was the first game I think I've missed since I've been at UNI at the Dome, which is very impressive for me. But they didn't look, the first two drives. First off, I th oh crap, was it Quan Hampton or Deion McShane? See, the problem is Deion McShane switched his number to f to one from four, and the four and one when they're moving fast, they kind of like blend together somewhat. So I'm, it's one of those. Two, I can't. I think it was Deion McShane. I think it was Deion McShane that had the kick return at the start of the game that set you and I up in a very good. So yeah, it was Deion McShane on kick. No, 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 no. It was Quan Hampton. It was Quan Hampton. So they set up, got set up in very good field position for the first drive of the game. Will McIlvain scored a rushing touchdown. They looked very, very good. They were hitting a lot of out routes in the game. But then, uh, and then the second drive, decent second drive, ended up with a Matthew Cook field goal. But, oh man, that was, it wasn't fun to watch. Let's just put it like that. I texted my dad once I got there and then sent a picture to my family and then was texting my dad during the first part of the game. I was like, dad. You and I's offense is looking in sync right now. They're looking very in sync from what they weren't looking like the first two games of the season against South Dakota State and Youngstown State. I had, a little, I had to think about it for a little bit. And then later in the game, I was like, <laughs> uh, never mind. They do not. <laughs> they are not in sync anymore. I would like to read you the drive charts from combined Illinois State and you and I. Okay, this is how they lost the ball, okay? So, touchdown by UNI. Illinois State punted. Field goal for UNI. Field goal, UNI, Illinois State. Then, punt, 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 punt. UNI interception, which was returned for a touchdown by Illinois State. Punt, halftime. Punt, 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 punt. Field goal, punt, 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 punt. Fumble recovery. Touchdown. Turnover on downs. Half, which was the game was over. That is, you want me to count the punch for you? Let's go. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 total punts in this game. And let's just count the game, the drown, that drives that didn't end in punch. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. So out of 27 drives in this game, 17 of them were punts. <laughs> If you liked watching punters, then this was your game to watch. 
it was not a very enjoyable game. I don't know if this was really a testament to how good these two defenses are or how bad these offenses are. I'll give you and I's defense the benefit of the doubt because they are an elite defense and one of have been ever since Mark Farley has been the head coach, one of the best, if not the best, defense at the FCS level, at least in Missouri Valley Conference. And Illinois State, the game before, their starting quarterback, Bryce Jefferson, threw four interceptions and fumbled twice. So I don't think that I don't think you really had to try and stop Illinois State's offense. Do I think Illinois' defense is good? Sure, they're all right. But UNI's defense offense didn't put a lot of pressure on them. After those first two drives, it was dead. The game was dead. It was so boring. Will probably had his worst game in a UNI Panthers uniform on this day. He was very shaky in the pocket. The offensive line was basically throwing a lot of lookout blocks in this game. Will took a lot of hits in this game. And if you have ever been tackled on that turf... It doesn't really feel good. You could get a turf burn just by looking at the turf in that stadium wrong. That thing is so rough, and if you're taking hits on that, it doesn't feel very good. They've had a lot of rotation on the offensive line these past two weeks, and it showed in this game. It showed, and Will was rushing throws. He was getting nervous, so he's staring down one target, which did not help you and I's offensive situation. They have little to no run game. Tyler Hoosman breaks off a big run every once in a while, but they don't give him the ball. They, he ended up having the most carries in this game, but he doesn't start. They love giving the ball to Dom Williams, who I think is averaging around three yards a carry. He averaged 2.4 yards a carry this game. But Hoosman is starting to look more and more healthy, so I don't know if we'll actually see him start. So obviously he missed week one against South Dakota State. So maybe we'll get him back fully healthy. Isaiah Weston's been in and out of the lineup, and he didn't even play, as far as I know, in this game Saturday. And, uh, yeah, they just don't look very good on offense. Offensive line struggles. Will's looking shaky. His feet are moving. He's leaving the pocket before, right as he hits his drop, there was barely any throws where he got to the top of his drop and let it go. He dropped and rolled out, tried to make a play out of anything. And then he went, he'd stare down one guy when there's another guy wide open. There was a couple of times he forced the ball somewhere where there was a wide open receiver in another part of the field. He forced the ball to Dion McShane where Quan Hampton was in the middle of the field wide open. He tried to force the ball to the sideline where I think it was Quan Hampton was working back towards the player. There was a play where, uh, who was it? Nick Phillips, I think was his name. He, I, Him and Hampton, one of them ran the wrong route because they both ran out routes, but Hampton was open on it so I don't know if that was just a little bit of a miscommunication for both of them I don't know what the problem was there there's a play that you and I post on Twitter where Will hit Tyson Kershaw very talented freshman receiver on a pretty much a skinny post it was a bubble slow go a skinny post route combination you look at the bubble if it's not there quickly throw it to the slant or the skinny post essentially and he stared him down while he's wide open and then underthrew the ball. I don't know if he was just lacking confidence in this game, which from what I can tell of Willie never really lacks confidence in himself, but it was a confusing and very hard to watch game. Fans are getting a little restless with the offense because it's just not very good. To put it lightly, you and I's offense is not good and if you want to watch good quarterback play this year, I would not at least 
I think Will is a good quarterback. I would like to stress that. But he's just not playing very good right now. You can tell this is spring ball. They look like they're playing in the spring. I don't know if it's going to be better in the fall. I hope for you and other you and I fans' sake that it gets better. Or for Will's sake, or for Farley's sake, or for Watson's sake, the offensive coordinator, the de facto offensive coordinator, essentially, that it gets better because it just looks bad. Very bad. They have no running game. The offensive pa- the passing game's inconsistent. The O line switching every single week. There's no consistency there either. The wide receivers are in and out of the lineup all the time. Feels like they're always all hurt. So he's throwing in new receivers every week. Logan Wolf was back, so that was a good sign. Logan Wolf played pretty well in this game. But he was missing throws. He was a second off or a second late on every single throw he did in this game. Other than the first couple drives. There was a couple nice throws he had on the sideline that the receivers just dropped. But, uh, yeah, not fun. I, I mean, I enjoyed going to the game because it was very nice to go to a live sporting event again. But if I'm going at this from that I enjoy watching the game instead of just being there, not really. I'm happy they won. I love watching you and I's defense. They got some very, very good players on this defense, as they always do. But, like, Omar Brown. Omar Brown, I'm feeling kind of bad for him because he's so good that he's not even playing the game, essentially. They don't even look his way anymore. I think he got targeted once, and that was just because... Their quarterback was getting pressured. He kind of launched it downfield. And Omar Brown still almost intercepted it. Omar, I said this before the season. Omar Brown is the best cornerback in the FCS level. It's not even really close. And now people are starting to realize that and not even throwing his way anymore. So he's getting that Desmond King treatment. The year after he won the Jim Thorpe Award. And then he had no action the rest of the the next season. And that hurt his draft stock. But Omar Brown's a beast. I feel kind of bad for him because he's not getting any action over <laughs> in the cornerback spot. He could just stand still and not have to worry about it. If he just he's basically a decoy, because they're not looking that way. They're not even looking his way, let alone throwing to him. But yeah, you and I defensively fine. Offensively, a mess. Let's just call it a mess. Yeah, not not a great game. I hope it improves this next week at our playing Southern Illinois, who remember reminder, beat. North Coast State last week. They won last week. Yeah, they won this past week, beat North Coast State last week. North Coast State beat Missouri State, which is unsurprisingly unsurprising. South Coast State beat Eastern Illinois, as every team should beat Eastern Illinois. But yeah, against Southern Illinois, that should be a pretty, pretty interesting game. It's in Carbondale. They play Missouri State on the 20th. So Bobby Petrino's homecoming, I guess he's not really, it's not a homecoming, but his debut in Iowa I think has he ever been in Iowa before I don't know but I'm excited to see Bobby Petrino with the Missouri State Bears and then you and I's got I don't want to call it this because it's very mean but they basically got two bye weeks in Missouri State and then Western Illinois back to back if they don't come away with wins there that's where you improve the offense is against those two teams so Illinois will be a tough game but against Missouri State and Western Illinois if the offense looks bad against those two, I think it might be time to change some things up. Because those are games you could test things on. And then if they work, you try them in the next game. If they don't work, then you don't try them again. Because if they don't work against Western Illinois or Missouri State, they won't work. They sure as hell won't work against a team like South Dakota, who they play the next week. And then the last game of the season, April 10th, against North Dakota State. Who again won 25-0 against Missouri State. Didn't really need to do a lot to win that game. 
They're dead too, basically. Their offense stinks. North Dakota, a team you and I doesn't play this year, is probably <laughs> the best team in the Missouri Valley Conference this year. One of the newbies in the Missouri Valley Conference this year. One of the, the newbie in the Missouri Valley Conference. There's some good teams in the Missouri Valley Football Conference this year. And North Dakota, North Dakota is a very talented one. They killed Southern Illinois. They beat South Dakota State pretty good. And they beat South Dakota. They beat three ranked teams at the time. And now they're getting Western Illinois and then next, which is going to be a fun game. March 20th, they're going to play North Dakota State. Oh, at North Dakota State, too. And they don't play the Panthers, which is sad. I would like to see the UNI Panthers against these new guys. But, yeah, they're pretty much the class. Them and South Dakota State. Actually, no. They beat South Dakota State. North Dakota is the class of the Missouri Valley Conference this year. I think they're ranked fourth in the, the national poll. The stats FCS Top 25. I think that's where they're ranked. I think you and I, well, I know you and I is ranked third. North Dakota State was fifth. I don't know where South Dakota State is. Because they were fifth when they played you and I and then beat them. Then they flipped rankings. But I don't know where South Dakota State is after losing to North Dakota. I need to check the rankings again. James Madison, unsurprisingly, I should say, number one. At least last time I checked, they were number one. Which is, again, <laughs> not, not very surprising because they're always around the top of the top of the table in the FCS polls year in and year out. But yeah, not a fun game this week. They won, but at what cost? I hope they can turn it around against a good Salukis team next week. But yeah, two and one, nothing to snip at. They've scored 20 points in every game, but it's been a hard time to get these 20 points. Hasn't been very enjoyable to watch. And yeah, I hope they can turn it around against Southern Illinois. That game will be taking place Saturday at noon. You can watch that, I'm assuming, on ESPN Plus or ESPN3. Most of the games you and I will be on ESPN Plus, so make sure you get your subscription for that. Should be fun. Should be a pretty fun game. Southern Illinois is usually a competitive team, as you saw when they just throttled North Dakota State Week 2. And throttled's a good, a nice way to put it for North Dakota State. That's a that's the best way I could probably put that. And for those of you who are wondering about the NBA All-Star Game, it is 80-72, Team LeBron with 2.57 left in the second quarter. For Team LeBron, the leading scorer is Giannis with 19 points. LeBron has 4 points in the game. Steph Curry has 17 and on the bench. Jalen Brown has 12. For Team Durant, we have Jason Tatum with 13, Kyrie Irving with 13, your boy Zach Levine with 9 points, leading all bench scores. For Team KD, who are down eight as halftime approaches and the slam dunk competition will take place. The much, much anticipated NBA dunk contest. I am so pumped for the NBA dunk contest, as you, as all of you should be as well. But you guys obviously already know the results of the dunk contest. When this show comes out, you all know the results of the dunk contest. I'll probably finish the show. Actually, I don't know. We're going to get to Mock Draft 3.0 in a little bit. So we don't know if I will get to there or not. Time will tell. Time will certainly tell. So without further ado, let's remind you to go subscribe and follow all the Logan Blackman Show accounts on social media. Twitter, Logan underscore Blackman is the Twitter account. Instagram, Blackman Logan. And then the Logan Blackman Show 1 is the show's Twitter account. Go like the Facebook page. Subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow 
the Apple Podcast account and the Spotify account. Just go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, type in The Logan Blackman Show, and hit the follow or subscribe button on the app. Yes. Exciting times. I just got heard from my partner in the song that we are almost done and are almost ready to release the song. I don't know if I think we're going to wait to release the song and release the music video at the same time. I think that would best serve for what we are trying to do because it's going to be, it's going to blow your freaking socks off. So get mentally prepared for the Logan Blackman show song because it is beautiful. It is beautiful and totally, totally not a ripoff of anything Boys to Men has done over the years. <laughs> it's totally original stuff. Okay. So, yes, without further ado, let's get into Mock Draft 3.0. I am very excited. It's a lot of time and effort went into this. It is 29 pages long on Google Docs. 29 pages long. It's a long one, but it's a good one, as per usual. Now, I know the other day I said there was a trade. I eliminated said trade. I didn't want to do it anymore. Because I had one trade. And it looked very weird to have one trade mixed in a whole mock draft with no other trades. I didn't really like it. And it's hard. It's it's almost impossible to try and predict trades. So, you know what? We'll try to get this. We'll try. Maybe with the last mock draft, I'll put two mock drafts out of one with trades and one without trades. But for right now, we're just going to keep it with what we've been doing to this up until this point. For this season of Mock Draft, or the 2021 NFL Draft, which takes place in Cleveland, if you all were wondering that, doing no trades. We're doing no, and I made a sick graphic for my Mock Draft as well, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Well, actually, you're seeing it right now, because if you're listening to the show, you've probably at least seen the graphic. I don't know if you actually clicked on the link for the Mock Draft, but you've seen the graphic, because I probably blasted it all over social media. If I know myself, and I do know myself pretty well. So, number one, Jacksonville. I mean, it's getting kind of boring at this point. It's Trevor Lawrence going number one to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, I am hearing through anonymous sources. No, not through anonymous sources. I'm not that cool yet. Through Mike Florio, per Mike Florio, pro football talk, for those of you who don't know, the Jaguars have conducted two of the maximum five Zoom interviews with Zach Wilson already, and that Jacksonville QB coach Brian Schottenheimer Spent time this week talking with John Beck about jo- Zach Wilson. For those of you who don't know, John Beck is a former BYU quarterback. So, could this be happening? I know Zach Wilson has been jumping Trevor Lawrence in some draft rankings, as we talked about on Friday, I believe. Chris Sims ranked Zach Wilson number one overall in his quarterback chart. Trevor Lawrence second, June Jones, as we've mentioned numerous times, with Mac Jones number one, Wilson two, and Lawrence three. The more and more you see these things, you start seeing more and more people say Zach Wilson is the superior quarterback to the two because I think in majority, or what, what not really what people think is going to happen, but from what people, or not people, not from what people rank it, what people think is going to happen is Zach Wilson, to this point, as I sit here on March 7th, is going to be the second quarterback taken regardless of what people are ranking them as. Zach Wilson, you don't go to bed. You don't go into the Jaguar, Jacksonville Jaguars job and not check. I would be shocked. I would be floored if the Jacksonville Jaguars did not take Trevor Lawrence with the first pick. 
I'm not saying Zach Wilson wouldn't be, you know, a good number one overall pick, but I would be absolutely shocked if that were to happen. But number two, Zach Wilson doesn't go much farther after number one. Zach Wilson goes to the New York Jets at number two. Pretty self-explanatory. I mean, he's going to go to the second quarterbacks taken in this draft. I think the Jets are moving on from San Darnold. That's what my gut is telling me. And I think Zach Wilson would fit nicely in Matt LaFleur's offense. And this was a big stat that I saw, I think, Friday night or Thursday night. One of these two is... The Jets ranked dead last in red zone scoring last year. Red zone offense, they scored on 42.11% of their red zone trips in 2020. Zach Wilson is the only draft-eligible QB with 100-plus career attempts and zero interceptions in the red zone. That's according to Pro Football Focus. Zero interceptions. By contrast, Sam Darnold has completed just 36.67 of his red zone attempts. He has completed 30, we'll round up to be nice, 37% of his red zone trips, which is the fourth lowest out of QBs who have played at least one game. And the lowest out of QBs that have played more than one game. That's the lowest basically in the NFL. Because if you have played more than one time in the NFL, you are better than Sam Darnold in the red zone. And this was on Pro Football Reference. I had to look this up myself because I knew the Jets because I looked this up for Mock Draft 2.0 because the Giants' red zone offense was second last and I knew the Jets was last because, you know, when you see a list, you look towards the top and bottom and you go, oh, wow, that's terrible. You don't really go in the middle. I was looking at the bottom of the list. And then I go, oh, what quarterbacks rank worst in completion percentage or in interception and all that stuff? Sam Darnold is last if you have played more than one game in the NFL. They're taking calls on Sam Darnold. I think it's time they move on. I don't know where Sam goes, but to me, Zach Wilson will be going number two overall to the New York Jets. Number three, same thing, Zach, uh, Jamar Chase going to the Miami Dolphins. He's the best receiver in the draft. If we're not doing trade now, I think there's a very strong possibility the Miami Dolphins trade this pick. Just, just somebody needs a quarterback, like say the Panthers, maybe the Falcons want to move up one spot in the draft. We've seen this in years gone by before, of teams moving up to one spot in the draft. We saw it as recently as last year with the Buccaneers trading up one spot to draft Tristan Wurz. The Chicago Bears famously did it to draft Mitchell Trubisky. And we'll talk about the Chicago Bears a little bit because they've got a quarterback situation that I know a lot of people care about. Even if you're not Chicago Bears fans, you have heard or want to be invested somewhat in this quarterback situation. But again, we'll talk about that a little bit. But the Dolphins, now, hey, another team. Here, okay, let's just do this before I talk about the pick again. Teams that could trade up with the Dolphins are the Falcons, the Panthers, the Eagles, the Niners. I think that's as far as the Dolphins would be willing to go. Maybe the Broncos, if they're feeling a little frisky. I don't think they'd want to fall out of top, side of the top 12. Because I think you could probably get, if the Dolphins trade back, I think you could still get one of those top receivers in the draft class. Or you could hopefully one of the best linemen can draft fall a little bit and you could draft a wide receiver with either your second pick in the first round or a second round pick. But Jamar Chase is the best receiver in the draft. I've already talked ad nauseum about how good Jamar Chase is. We just forgot about how good he was because he opted out of the season. It's, it's an amazing, he's an amazing wide receiver. Just put it like that. Fourth overall, I have two picks here because I cannot 
narrow it down. I will change this eventually, and I will say a pick whenever I'm done here. Because I think if one thing happens, then that sets off a chain reaction events with everything else happening in the first round regarding quarterbacks. So obviously, I love the fit of Trey Lance in Atlanta. We talked about this. This was, the, this was my pick on Mock Draft 2.0, was Trey Lance going to Atlanta. I love the fit. I love Trey Lance's run-first style of op- North Coast State's run-first style of offense. Trey Lance, obviously, rushing for over 1,000 yards at North Coast State. You know Arthur Smith, with the top offense he ran in Tennessee, want to be a run-first style team. Matt Ryan's not look like he's slowing down. So then you bring in Trey Lance to learn from him a little bit. And then we go from there. Okay? And the other one here is Justin Fields, who I think is the second best quarterback in this draft, or at least joint second best quarterback in this draft. And regardless of where I rank a player versus where they'll I have them going in a draft, doesn't matter. I think that if I'm going basically off what I'm thinking will happen, not necessarily what I would do, if that makes any sense. I'm typing up vigorous, I'm looking up numerous things on the internet, trying to find something that says this player will go to this position. And this could all change by the time this thing gets released. I'll probably narrow it down to one person, and that will slowly allow everything else to come into place for this. But Justin Fields, last year at Ohio State, or two years ago, I guess, because his last season just ended, Ohio State had the number one rushing offense in college football. That was behind, what, three triple option teams and a Kentucky team that had converted wide receiver and Lynn Bowden playing quarterback. So they were just running the ball regardless at Kentucky. And they were still fourth in, or what, fifth in the nation? Fourth in the nation? And, uh, yeah. They had a good rushing attack. And he wasn't the main cog of the rushing attack, but J.K. JK Dobbins was that. But Justin Fields put up some good rushing numbers that season. 484 yards, 10 touchdowns on the ground. And even this season, he averaged more yards per carry this season than he did last year and still rushed for five touchdowns, which is half, of course, of his total last year. His toughness is a very big thing here. His willingness to make plays in his offense and putting his body on the line is very, very, what's the word I'm looking for? Very desirable, I would imagine, with teams. Just look at the play he made against Michigan State where he's blocking, basically being the lead blocker for Trey Sermon's touchdown run. He sprinted side-by-side with Trey Sermon trying to be a blocker for him. That could help him get drafted here. But I think if you want to go on potential, I could definitely see Trey Lance going there. If not, Justin Fields. I'm I'm like so torn down the middle of this because I I, I like both here. I like, personally, I like Trey Lance going here better, but, oh man, Justin Fields, I can't see, I don't know if I want to put Justin Fields lower, because Justin Fields is an amazing quarterback, I don't, I don't want to put him lower than this, and I like another fit of the quarterbacks as well, that I don't want to change, oh man, I'm so, I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing anymore, this is hard and scary, I don't know if I like this anymore. And I have seen a couple times, I guess, Justin Fields falling a little bit. And I think Trey Lance's potential could definitely get him drafted above Justin Fields. But it's just hard to make Justin Fields fall 
very far. I'll make an official decision on this pick later in the mock draft. So fifth, Penny Sewell. Apparently, this is a an essential, basically a lock at this point. According to Matt Miller, he has a source that says this is happening, which is what we pretty much expected. I know where there's been linked with Rashawn, Rashawn Slater. Makes a lot of sense there. Very versatile off the lineman. More of the finished product, I guess. But the ceiling of Penny Sewell, Penny Sewell is a lot higher to a lot of people than a Rashawn Slater, even a Christian Darisaw. So I think this will happen. This is one I'm very comfortable in saying will happen. I think the first two picks will happen. I think the Dolphins could trade back, but if they stay there, that pick will happen. The Bengals, I think, I'm very confident in saying that will happen. And then six, I have Kyle Pitts going to the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. Kyle Pitts is obviously the do-everything tight end from the University of Florida. Basically a wide receiver playing the tight end position. He's my number two ranked player in this draft as a whole. Obviously the number one tight end. If he's the second best player in the draft, he's going to be rated as the number one tight end in this draft. I don't care what Instagram scouts say about this. I just love this. I had this going here originally. I had Kyle Pitts going to the Philadelphia Eagles when I originally made my mock draft 2.0. And I changed it last second. From what I had in mock draft 2.0, I have currently on here for Kyle Pitts and the other two big name wide receivers in Jamar Chase or uh, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. I think an offense with Jalen Hurts and Kyle Pitts in the red zone would be awesome. They are working on a trade for Zach Ertz, as far as I can tell. And their quarterback coach, their new quarterback coach, Brian Johnson, was the offensive coordinator for Florida. So he has a firsthand experience and knowledge about how good and how important Kyle Pitts is to an offense. I think it's a perfect fit. I think it makes a lot of sense. He's the best red zone target in this draft class, as we've said before. 31 targets in the red zone, zero drops. He doesn't drop the ball. Per, he doesn't drop the ball that much, anyways. Let alone the red zone where you need your players to not drop the ball. I just think he's he's uber talented. He's a freaking freak, as we've talked about before. I think Kyle Pitts and Philly would be a very very awesome fit. Jalen Hurts, Kyle Pitts would be a red zone nightmare for NFL defenses. Number seven, the Detroit Lions, Jalen Waddell. I think he's the number two receiver in this draft. I think he's an uber-talented wide receiver, a Swiss Army knife, if you will, from the wide receiver position. I love, 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 love Jalen Waddell's game. I love how much of a leader he is. Go watch his game against Ohio State in the national championship game. When a freshman D-back gets ejected, who's in his ear, telling him it's all right, trying to keep his head on straight. It's Jalen Waddell. Jalen Waddell... Didn't need to play in the national championship game. Most players right now, from what you could tell, with the opting out of bowl games nowadays, would have opted out in that situation. They would have opted out right after he got hurt. But no, Jalen Waddell kept playing. Came back from his broken ankle and still played the national championship game. Even though he wasn't 100%. He was used as a decoy. And still, even in his decoy form, still had a great catch and run in the game that set Alabama up very much in the red zone. Jalen Waddle will be very, very fun to watch in the Detroit Lions. I think he would be a very good weapon for Jared Goff. Now, they could go quarterback here. I really doubt they will. They could easily trade back. I think they're another team that are prime trade back situation here. 
because the Lions have a lot of needs on their roster. Wide receiver is one big need, but they have a lot of needs on defense as well, as we've known. It has been well documented that under Matt Patricia, their defense has been abysmal, to say the least. That's just, that's just putting it lightly. Their defense has sucked ever since Matt Patricia stepped foot in there, and they're going to want to change that. Whether it's with a Quiddy Pay, Micah Parsons, Gregory Rousseau, someone like that, or one of the top corners. If you want to go with a corner there, they just released Desmond Trufant, if I remember correctly seeing that, if I saw that right. So we'll see what they do with, the, with that position, but I think them and the Dolphins are the two most likely candidates to trade back in this draft class for quarterback needy teams. There's a, quite a few teams that could take quarterbacks in this draft. Number eight, this was one that I had problems with as well. Justin Fields, we'll go with the first one, Justin Fields going to the Carolina Panthers. Apparently they love Justin Fields and like Mac Jones, but from what you could tell about Mac Jones and his stock going the way it is, which it's screaming up, we'll talk about, actually let's talk about Mac Jones first. Let's talk about Mac Jones going to the Carolina Panthers. They coached Mac Jones in the Senior Bowl. They really, I know, I know they said, the reports say anyways, that they love Justin Fields and just like Mac Jones, but the coaching him in the Senior Bowl is going to be a very big factor in this situation of him going to Carolina. His teammates, his former teammates, talking about him in Jalen Wild, Devontae Smith, saying they prefer him, him over a top five pick in Tua Tagovailoa. Tua himself comparing Mac Jones to a more mobile version of Tom Brady. And then you hear about his work ethic. You see him sitting behind likes of Tua, sitting behind Jalen Hurts as the third string. Those two leave, and then now you're the starter. But then here comes a five-star freshman quarterback that people are comparing to Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson on steroids. People don't think you should be the starter because this dude's an amazing athlete. He's getting compared to a number one overall pick and a Heisman Trophy winner and also one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in Russell Wilson. And you still beat him out. And then not only did you beat him out, you ended up leading the nation in passing yards. You didn't have the same number of weapons as Tua did. I know he had Devontae Smith win the Heisman, but Jalen Waddell was out for most of the season. He didn't have Jerry Judy. He didn't have Henry Ruggs there. But he still balled out. Again, he wasn't ever supposed to be the starter at Alabama. Tua, Jalen, Bryce Young, those are the guys we want starting for Alabama. Not Mac Jones, but Mac Jones didn't care. He just kept doing his thing. His work ethic is insane. I love his mentality about he's not going to give up regardless. That will very much help him in the draft process. I don't care if he's not that mobile. He's decently mobile. He's he's a terrible slider. I'll give him that. He doesn't know how to slide. He's almost hurt himself more times than I can count watching him try to slide. You saw him mess up his knee a little bit, I think, in the national championship game trying to slide. But listening to what people say about him and listening or see, just watching him play and seeing how he works, I'd, I would not be shocked. And I'm starting to get into the feeling that I'd be more surprised if Mac Jones wasn't a top 10 pick in this draft. And that might sound crazy, but... The way, it's just the way he carries himself, how people talk about him, the way teams have looked at him, scouts have talked about him, the way he played. I, I don't want people to be, this will be one of the picks where the whole world is shocked and angry 
that Mac Jones got drafted with a top 10 pick. Similar to that of when Daniel Jones got drafted with a top 10 pick. Not only top 10, top 6 pick by the New York Giants. I don't want that for Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones would be an awesome NFL quarterback, regardless of what that's with the Panthers or the 49ers or the Patriots or someone like that. I think he'll be fine regardless. His mentality, the way he carries himself, the way his teammates talk about him, it's very desirable stuff from Mac Jones. He's accurate. He's tough. Yes, he's not very mobile. He's not very athletic. But hey, then stop Tom Brady, and look where Tom Brady's at now. I'm not saying he is Tom Brady, but that mentality is similar to one that we've seen another time in the NFL. So I would love to see someone like Mac Jones get drafted by the Carolina Panthers, but it'd be very it's very hard for me to say that Mac Jones would get drafted above Justin Fields. I think it could happen, but I think it's from what I've heard, it's more likely that Trey Lance gets drafted after Mac Jones. From what I've heard, essentially, Mac Jones does not, he really doesn't look like to be the four, the fifth quarterback taken in this draft. From everything I've heard, and a lot of people think he won't slip past the eighth pick. So if Justin Fields is available and Mac Jones is there too, that makes things very interesting for the Carolina Panthers. Now, in my mock draft that I had before I made this one, I had San Francisco trading up with Detroit to take Justin Fields to kind of make the situation easier for myself because I love Justin Fields in Kyle Shanahan. I would love to see Justin Fields in Kyle Shanahan's system. And I think Mac Jones would be really good in Joe Brady's system. You saw what he did with Joe Burrow in L- at LSU. What would he do with Mac Jones in Carolina with one of the best and one of the most underrated wide receiver tandems in Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore with a healthy Christian McCaffrey? And that's all unless you trade for Deshaun Watson. Then forget everything I've said about the Carolina Panthers with this pick. But it's between if both of these guys are available, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. You coached him at the Senior Bowl. Players love talking about him. Players love playing with him. Coaches love him. Scouts love him. It's going to be hard for Matt. It's going to be a tough pick. I don't know what I'm going to do here. That's the problem. I love both. I love all of these quarterbacks in this draft class. Trey Lance is my favorite quarterback in this draft because I love his potential and his ceiling, and I love what he can do running the ball. He is what people want the NFL to be, Trey Lance. Mac Jones is what, essentially, we are trying to move away from, from what, you would, what you're looking around the NFL. You don't see people like Mac Jones getting drafted in the first round that much anymore. The era of the statue quarterback is moving out. But Mac Jones isn't really a statue. He's not incredibly mobile. Like He's not as mobile as Joe Burrow, per se. Or Justin Herbert. But he's mobile enough. He's not Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or Phillip Rivers mobile. Where basically, if you touch him, you basically sacked him. Because he ain't getting, he's not elusive enough to get around you. <laughs> I know, Tom Brady's over 1,000 career rushing yards. So great, great, great job, Tom. But man, it's hard. Carolina, so here's the situation I'm in. Do I go with Atlanta taking Justin Fields or Trey Lance? And then do I have Carolina going after Justin Fields or Mac Jones? Because if they take Mac Jones, so here's my situation. In one draft, I have, we'll talk about it in a little bit, I guess. So think about that. Mac Jones or Justin Fields, number eight. 
Number nine, the Broncos taking Caleb Farley. Ten, the Cowboys take Patrick Sertan. The two corners will go back to back unless a trade happens here. I know I had Micah Parsons going to the Broncos in my last one, but I think it's more likely to see the corners go back to back. Farley and Sertan, depending on how you view them, you'll see a lot of mock drafts flipping those two with Sertan above Farley. You'll see mock drafts with Farley above Sertan. Again, it's all about what you like, I guess. Because if you want to go in accolades this year, or just accolades in general, Sertan would be the guy you take. If you go on upside and athleticism, you would go with Caleb Farley. So it's it's give and take. You can have one or the other. I don't think that if one of these guys, if, say, Sertan goes to da- the Denver, Dallas will take Farley. If Farley goes to Denver, Dallas will take Sertan. I don't think there's going to be a lot of <laughs> falling between these two. At least from what I can tell right now. Now, we are a month and a half out from the draft, so a lot of things could change at this point. But I think these two are destined to go back-to-back in this draft, and they will be linked forever because if one corner who got to, if the corner got taken second, it's a lot better than the corner taken first. That's a little bit of a problem for the Broncos, who are taking them first. So number 11, the New York Giants taking Devontae Smith. They need weapons for Daniel Jones. They uh, basically vowed to give him weapons. Devontae Smith is the Heisman Trophy winner. He's a competitor. He's a great wide receiver. If he is here, whoever, whoever the top weapon is at this point, the Giants will take him. Whether that's Jalen Waddle, whether it's Kyle Pitts, whether it's Devontae Smith, they'll take that guy, and that will be the farthest they fall. Unless multiple of those guys are available. So let's say Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle are both available. I think the Giants take Jalen Waddle. Because of the different things Jalen Waddle can provide to an offense and just provide to a team in general, that stuff Devontae Smith just can't do. Jalen Waddle can do that. In the return game, the rushing attack, the speed he has, the versatility, that's what Jalen Waddle possesses versus Devontae Smith. I think Devontae Smith's the more consistent guy as far as receiving goes, but everything involved with the receiving, I would give, or everything involved in football, I would go to Jalen Waddle here. But Devontae Smith, this is no slouch on Dalen Waller, no slight to Devontae Smith saying that he's the third best wide receiver in this draft class because these are three very good wide receivers in Jamar Chase, Dalen Waller, Devontae Smith. These are amazing wide receivers. These three are awesome. If we're talking about the last, the top three draft prospects from last year at this time with Ruggs, Judy, and Lamb, these three are better. These three are better. <laughs> I would take these three. And that's great. That might be crazy to think about because how good and pro- how good of prospects they were. But man, these three are beasts. They're good, and the Giants will take whoever's available. I don't think they'll be too picky with who's available here. <laughs> I think Smith will be available. They'll take him. Twelve to San Francisco. Mac Jones or Trey Lance, because here's the situation. And I've already talked about these guys enough, so. I'm not going to keep going in-depth on each individual player for the 49, for the different quarterback teams. So if here's the scenarios I have in my head. If Trey Lance goes there to Atlanta, then it'll go Justin Fields, Mac Jones. If Justin Fields goes fourth, it'll go Mac Jones, Trey Lance. I, ha- I had, for a little bit, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, Justin Fields. But I just have a hard time doing that. I, I know I've seen... Mock drafts, and people have seen mock drafts of Justin Fields falling a little bit in the draft, but I just it's just hard for me to see Justin Fields and after watching him at Ohio State 
and just going, yeah, he's going to be the fifth quarterback taken in the draft. It's hard for me to do that to him. He's a very good quarterback. I just can't do it. But from what I hear about Mac Jones and Trey Lance's upside, which is basically what I've put on. I know his upside's nationally known, but it's hard. I'm having a difficult time doing this. So if Trey Lance goes number four, which I think he should because I think Trey Lance in Atlanta would be perfect, I think Justin Fields would probably end up at Carolina and Mac Jones in San Fran. Because I think from if I'm listening to the reports, they love Justin Fields. But that might be a little bit of a ruse to try and get someone to trade up above them so then they can just take Mac Jones and not have to really think about the situation. I don't know. It's gonna it's a difficult one. It's a very it's a very difficult one. I don't think San Fran will stay at number twelve. Oh man, it's good. It's hard. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. So for this, at the end of the draft, I am gonna give my official rank or my official thought or my official picks because it's between one of those two. I'm stuck between those two, between Trey Lance and Justin Fields at four. Justin Fields and Mac Jones at 8, and Trey Lance and Mac Jones at 12. That's what my thought process is at this point. Jimmy G's injury prone. Let's just go for it. Jimmy G's injury prone. They're going to move on. I know they like, they're like. they saying he's their guy, but Arizona said the same thing about Josh, Josh Rosen. I'm not really 100% buying that. Oh, he's our guy. Cool. Prove it. Don't draft a quarterback then. I think they have to. 13 chargers for Sean Slater. Yeah, they have off-the-line problems. Apparently, they're trying to trade uh, Trey Turner, the right guard they just traded for for Carolina, switching over Russell Okung. So that means right now in the Chargers, they have four needs on their off-the-line. Right guard, center, left guard, right or left tackle. Brian Balaga is still the right tackle for the Chargers. They have four needs on the off-the-line. Wow. <laughs> they have a ton of needs on the O-line. If Rashawn Slater somehow finds his way to Los Angeles at thir- or falls his way to 13, great, because they need it. And if not, they'll take the guy I have going 14 if Rashawn Slater's gone before that in Elijah Vera Tucker. So the Minnesota Vikings, instead of taking giving them Gregory Rousseau, the defensive end from Miami, I'm giving them Elijah Vera Tucker. I was looking at the stats and off the line rankings for Pro Football Focus, because as I said, Pro Football Focus statistical stuff is very cool. Their player analysis is very weird. So they're graded people for their guards. Now, again, I know this is what I just said. They're weird graders for players, but this is what they said. Ezra Cleveland, 37th out of 40 in pressure rate for right guard. Grant Bradbury, 34th out of 36 for centers. And Dakota Dozier, 36th out of 39 for left guards. I'll give Ezra Cleveland the benefit of the doubt because he wasn't a guard coming into the NFL. He was a left tackle coming from Boise State. But with Riley Reeves play at left tackle, it was kind of hard to go, we're going to start the rookie at left tackle even though you're playing good. This isn't quarterback where you can just do that. This is left tackle. <laughs> you got got to roll with the hot hand for left tackle. You can't just bench somebody at tackle. you got to be a little more <laughs> accepting can't really go well we drafted this guy so high well we're not playing and we're gonna play him at guard instead so Vera Tucker regardless of where you want to slot him in at guard just either of the guard spots he'll start right guard or left guard Vera Tucker will start and help improve the Vikings off to line 
Vera Tucker, as a blocker last year, according to Pro Football Focus, recorded an 88.6 passer rate, pass blocking rate, with no sacks or QB hits given up in 2019. Uh, for a team that needs improved pass blocking, they they need it. They need it. Vera Tucker would be a great fit for the Minnesota Vikings at 14. 15, Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State. The Patriots, ever since Bill Belichick's been the coach, have always had a good linebacking core. They had a lot of out, opt-outs last year. Dante Hightower's coming back. But they need to replace Jamie Collins. I think that's where Micah Parsons comes in. If they trade... Stephon Gilmore, which it, which is sounding like they might do, then look at a guy like J.C. Horn. I've also heard them trading up. I saw a trade with the link of to the New York Giants to trade Stephon Gilmore there, swapping first-round picks. So maybe they think they can get a guy like Caleb Farley or Patrick Sertan at 11. Time will tell on that, but Micah Parsons just seems like a Patriots player, doesn't he? 16, the Arizona Cardinals. J.C. Horn... Next best corner of the draft, they have a cornerback need. They need a corner. J.C. Horn's there. Take him. 17, I have the Raiders taking Quiddy Pay, the edge rusher from Michigan. Now, Quiddy Pay is an athletic freak. He's the most athletic defensive end in this draft. The Raiders have not gotten a lot of production out of their defensive ends, especially fourth overall pick, Cleveland Furl. Max Crosby had a good rookie year, was ranked, what, third in rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year voting. But, man, they need some help on the edge. Ever since Cleo Mack has left, their edge rushing and total defense have been awful. 29th and 25th, 32nd in sacks. 29th, 24th, 32nd in total defense. They need some help. The Raiders have always liked athletic players. Mike Mayock himself likes athletic players as well. Here's where Quiddy Pay comes in the mix. He didn't have a ton of production last year. He le- has the least amount of production out of these players, out of the edge rushers in this draft, but he has probably the highest upside next to, like, Gregory Rousseau, and his athleticism is ridiculous. So I ex- I would I would not be surprised if the Raiders took him at 17. 18, the Dolphins taking Jeremiah Wosu koromo the linebacker from Notre Dame. He just seems like a Brian Flores-type guy. They just cut Kyle Van Noy, which was kind of surprising for the Miami Dolphins to do so after signing him just, you know, last offseason, so they're going to have a hole there, Koromoa just fits, he just seems like a Brian Flores type player, he's a do-everything linebacker, he's a smaller build linebacker, but you know, another linebacker in South Florida made himself a decent career and ended up winning a Super Bowl and one is now in the Hall of Fame, I'm not saying Koromoa will be the same as Derek Brooks, but he's a beast, he's a lightning rod playing linebacker, he can make every single play on the field, He's an athletic freak from the linebacker position. He'd be a great get for Brian Flores and the Dolphins defense, which is already a very good defense. Our good defense can make it even better by getting Koromoa. 19, the Washington football team cake. Kadarius Toney, the wide receiver from Florida. They need some help out wide. I know they have Terry McLaurin, but he needs some help. Terry McLaurin is a great wide receiver, but they don't have anybody else. I don't know who their quarterback's going to be this year. I don't think it'll be anybody from the first round unless they make a giant trade up because all these quarterbacks, I would be guessing that these guys are all going to be gone very fast. I don't see any of them really slipping past 12, and that's with no trades. There could be a ton of trades that get up to the first picks in the draft. 
to get these quarterbacks. So there's five quarterbacks that can be taken to the top 12. That has never been done before. This is going to be a ridiculous draft when it comes to quarterbacks. I don't know where all the quarterbacks are going to go in the second round or third round. Like said, Kellen Mond, Kyle Trask, Davis Mills, a quarterback from Stanford. We don't know where these guys are going to go. So maybe Washington takes one of those guys. But Tony's an absolute beast. He's a Swiss Army knife type of wide receiver. He's done. He's got big numbers at a, every, almost every position. 1,500 yards receiving, 12 touchdowns, 580 rushing yards. Score, uh, geez, 21, 21.6 yards per kick return, 11.3 yards per punt return. He has a punt return touchdown. And he's even thrown the football with a passing touchdown. And among with, along with those numbers, Tony didn't drop a single pass, 10-plus yards downfield on 31 targets. Also, since 2019, Tony has a total of 111 touches with 60 first downs and 44 missed tackles, and you should watch some of the ways he gets out of things. He is not, he is just a freak at wide receiver, and it would be a very fun watch in Washington. Again, don't know who their QB will be, but they'll be very excited to work with a guy like Adarius Tony, pairing him up with Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas, and Antonio Gibson. Now, Christian Derrissaw, who I've going here to the Bears at 20, is the next best off to tackle in this draft. So it'll be hard for Washington to pass on him, especially since he's a Virginia Tech dude. Grew up not too far from Landover, Maryland, which is where the Washington football team play. But the Bears need O-line help. The Washington football team's O-line is not anywhere near as bad as the Bears. And getting a weapon to partner Terry McLaurin would be key for their offense moving forward. If Derisov falls to the Bears at 20, they would sprint up there to do it. Now, if they don't have this pick, which could seem very likely because they are going all in, reports say, on Russell Wilson. So we might not even see the Bears pick in the first round. So, But I don't think Bears fans will care because they got their starting quarterback in Russell Wilson. If Russell Wilson winds up with, winds up with the Bears, I don't know what I'm gonna. I don't know if I can believe that. Russell Wilson on the Bears just feels weird, but it probably will happen if the reports are real that they're prioritizing that. And Russell Wilson wants to be a Chicago Bear. Then, jeez, they're pretty cool. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers in the same division. That'd be pretty fun to see. And then the Seahawks would pick here. Then they'd have to probably maybe trade up, or they could trade for someone like Sam Darnold, being a West Coast kid, getting back on the West Coast, pairing with Seattle, former USC coach Pete Carroll. I know he wasn't the coach when Sam Darnold was there, but Sam Darnold probably grew up rooting for those USC teams, being a California kid. The affinity for Pete Carroll. But if the Bears pick here, Christian Derrissaw would be a must pick for the Bears if available. The Colts at 21, Gregory Rousseau. They're going to lose or may, might lose. Two of their starting guard, two of guards, two of their starting edge rushers, Justin Houston and Danico Autry, both are free agency. Houston is 32 years old, or going on 32 years old. They'll need to get some sort of edge presence in this draft. Or so, as we said, when he did play, obviously opted out last year, had 15 and a half sacks, which ranked second behind former second overall pick and current defensive rookie of the year, Chase Young. If he falls to 21 with his length, would be awesome for the Indianapolis Colts. If you have a defensive line that has the length of Greg Rousseau to partner DeForest Buckner, that would be pretty scary and very hard to block for opposing offensive lines. Be very fun to watch. And then we have another edge rusher going to Tennessee, 
and Jalen Phillips. Very similar to that of Rousseau, very long type of edge rusher as well. He has injury problems, but his production and upside are very good. So I think the Titans, who need just defensive help, most notably on the edges of their defense, would take a guy like Jalen Phillips because he's got he's the next best edge rusher in this draft. And then just keep it on the edge rusher thing. I'm not going to stick too long with these edge rushers. Aziz Ojolari going to the New York Jets. Whether you want to play him at 3-4 as a D-end on a 3-4 defense or an outside linebacker. Or no, defensive end on a 4-3 defense, outside linebacker on a 3-4 defense. He'd work out fine. Out of all these edge rushers in this draft, he has the most production. He had eight and a half sacks last season, which was the top in the SEC, which ranked at the top 10 in the nation as well. But that's kind of by default because, again, Pay barely played and Rousseau opted out. So it was kind of easy to be near the top or the top of sacks along edge rushers, or at least the edge rushers in the SEC. But the Jets need some help on the edge. They're just going to need defensive help. I don't know if Robert Sala will keep the 3-4 defense or if he goes back to the 4-3, which they ran in San Francisco. Time will be told. Time will tell on that. But Aziz Alari, regardless, can play both as a D-end or outside linebacker and would fill a very big need for the New York Jets. 24, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Jalen Mayfield. They just need offensive line help, don't they? Alejandro Villanueva doesn't look like he's coming back, so just get off the line help. Pouncey retired. Just if They have three linemen on the roster right now. Three. On the entire roster. Now, I know there's links with Najee Harris, and I think those make a lot of sense. James Conner's a free agent. Maybe they want to go another direction running back. Najee Harris would definitely be that other direction running back. Very big running back fits that mold of usual Steelers running backs. Just big running backs. Now, he's nothing like the bus, but he's just a big dude. He would fill that need for the Steelers. But to have a running game, you can have the best running back in the world. If they have no O-line, it'll be very hard to get them moving. So getting a guy like Jalen Phillips, who's young, very young, but he has a lot of experience in the players. His experience is built up by the players he has played, not necessarily by the amount of games he's played. Talking about experiences learned by playing against these big names. He hasn't really played. I guess that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? (laughs) He has played against some very good edge rushers, yet he hasn't played a ton of games in college. And will be 20 by the time this draft comes around. Much like Austin Jackson last year, youth could help Jalen Mayfield here and could wound him up in Pittsburgh with the Steelers, maybe even before that. Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm stuck here as well between safety Trayvon Mooring, Morig, and Christian Barmore, the defensive tackle from Alabama. I will stick with Barmore here because we've done it three times in a row, or two times in a row, might as well make it a third time. They need help in the defensive line. They've basically lost their entire D-line from Saxonville. They need help securing up holes in their defensive line. They've given up a lot of rushing yards over the past couple years. Need help there. Barmore would help solve that while also providing a rushing spot from the interior defensive line. So I think Barmore makes a lot of sense for the Jaguars. Zayvon Collins, linebacker from Tulsa, going to the Cleveland Browns at number 26. Again, Browns need linebacker help. They need edge help. Collins can play both. He's like 6'4", 260 pounds. He's a beast of a linebacker. Fills a need for the Browns. Yeah. Two for two, moving it to three for three. With Zayvon Collins going to Cleveland. Baltimore Ravens, I'm back on Rashad Bateman 
going to the Baltimore Ravens. Posted apparently a three, a four three seven forty yard dash time or four three four around those with hand time and laser time. I know he didn't have a great year last year, and I dropped him out completely of the last mock draft. But Ravens need wide receiver help bad. They need edge rush help bad as well. But if you can get a guy like Rashad Bateman here at twenty seven, go ahead and do it. You could go like a guy like Joe Tryon, the the edge rusher from Washington. But I'm gonna stick with Rashad Bateman. Right here, I had Azizo Jolari going here last time. I don't know if he'll be here, so we'll put Rashad Bateman there. Now look at the interior linemen as well. They need guard help. Landon Dickerson, Wyatt Davis, Trey Smith, if you want to go there. Alex Leatherwood. So there's players you could go with with the interior line spot as well, but I'll give them the wide receiver to help out Lamar. 28, the New Orleans Saints taking Trayvon Morig, the, the safety from... TCU is clear as the best safety in the draft. They have some needs at safety. Marcus Williams will be a free agent. Malcolm Jenkins is getting older. Building on strength, essentially. So get Trayvon Morig in there. Slots in right as a starting safety right off the bat. And then you've got one another key member of your defense, sort of in Trayvon Morig, if he's available. Now, let's just say this. Hypothetically, the Browns take Morig. And then I'll have the Saints taking try on the edge rusher because they need some help coming off the edge as well. So that's a hypothetical. But in this situation, I'm still having Morig go to the New Orleans Saints. 29, the Packers. Greg Newsom, the cornerback from Northwestern. He is one of the guys that has been rising up draft boards a lot recently, is making it look more and more likely that he'll be a first-round draft pick this year. And the Packers obviously have a need at cornerback. Now, Newsom, 6'1", 190 pounds. Nice size for a cornerback today. And again, he's one of those players where stock's rising a lot. So he might even be gone before this. Daniel Jeremiah in his last mock draft had him going to Indianapolis Colts at 21. He could go a lot higher than this. He had 130, on 387 snaps last season. He only let up 98 yards on 37 targets, and only 12 of them were catches. 34 targets, 12 catches. <coughs> that is very nice. That's 1, 2, 3, 4. You want that. You want that kind of stuff. 12 catches on 34 targets. 1, 2, 3, 4. Very nice. Very fast, athletic corner, has the size. Packers need a corner, fills the need. Fills the need right there. The Buffalo Bills, Tevin Jenkins, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma State. Daryl Williams is a free agent, so are Matt Milano and John Feliciano. Those are three big free agents for the Buffalo Bills. I think the last two, Milano and Feliciano, are more likely to be brought back than Daryl Williams. The guard or the guard situation around the NFL is not great. So the Bills, I think, signing John Feliciano will be great for them. He's also a very key member in their offense. Just in general, he's probably their second-best offensive lineman they have right now. Him and Deion Dawkins are probably the two best offensive linemen. His relationship with Josh Allen is very key as well. And then Matt Milano is, other than Trey White and the safeties, the most important player on the defense for the Buffalo Bills. He's one of Sean McDermott's favorite players. He's a fan favorite. I think he would be... I would be very shocked if Matt Milano played anywhere else this next season. So the Bills, who don't really have a running game, but the one way, like I said with the Steelers pick, one way to improve the running game is to get offensive linemen. And Tevin Jenkins, while Oklahoma State, was a part of an O-line that saw Chubba Hubbard rush for over 2,000 yards. So, yeah. (laughs) You got... A very talented, very big offensive lineman 
here for the Buffalo Bills. If he's available, he would be an easy pick for the Buffalo Bills. Six foot six, 320 pounds. Again, he was a bleed blocker for a 2,000-yard rush offense. If Tevin Jenkins is somehow available for the Bills, they have to take him. They have to take him. And then your old line started to come back because Cody Ford's going to come back and probably start at right guard. Feliciano will go back to left guard. And then hopefully that improves the Bills' rush offense to some capacity. Now I think the Bills will get someone like Jarrett Patterson, a local kid from Buffalo, played at Buffalo. Maybe they'll look at him, Javante Williams, in the second round as well. Maybe they go after Michael Carter, the other North Carolina running back. Time will tell. We'll see where all these running backs go because it's very, it's always very interesting to see where running backs go in the draft. Like 10 years ago, or 10 years ago, 15 years ago, in 20, 2005, or around 15 years ago, I guess, when Aaron Rodgers and Alex Smith were battling out for number one overall in the draft, you saw three running backs go in the top five. Ronnie Brown, Cedric Benson, and Cadillac Williams. Ever since then, unless you're drafting Adrian Peterson, Zeke, Saquon Barkley, you shouldn't really be targeting these running backs in the first round. So I love Travis Etienne. I love Najee Harris. And this is a little teaser that they're not in this draft. And they might end up following the first round because I've seen Najee Harris linked with the Dolphins. I've seen him linked with the Jets. I've seen him linked with the Steelers. But those teams, I think, will address other needs in the draft early than running back, and they'll fall very early in the second round. As we saw DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor come off the board very fast in the second round. Jonathan Taylor is back-to-back 2,000-yard seasons, and I'm pretty confident it was the third running back taken in the draft. So it's not really a testament to how – it's it's not it shouldn't be a bad mark against Najee Harris and Travis Etienne it's running backs before them that made this hard. And running back in the NFL is starting to become a situation where you can get replaced like that. More so than the other positions in the draft. Or just on the field in general. So I would not be shocked if both Najee Harris and Travis Etienne slipped out of the first round, even though I think they're first-round talented players. 31, the Kansas City Chiefs, Landon Dickerson. I've seen him coming up a lot of boards recently. He had an ACL injury, but apparently his recovery is coming very, very well. He is a big interior off the line. He played center for Alabama, played at Florida State before. He is a big dude, six foot six, 325 pounds. Same size around as Tevin Jenkins, the tackle that just went before him to the Buffalo Bills. Chiefs need interior O-line help. They need interior O-line help. Bad. They just need off the line, and that's where they're going to address, and I think Landon Dickerson would be a guy. I had Wyatt Davis going here last time. It'll be a battle between those two for the top for the next guard. I ranked Landon Dickerson lower in my last rankings because of the fact that he is coming off an ACL injury. If he wasn't, he would have been higher. Probably want 2A and 2B right behind, right next to White Davis. I, th- I could see either one of these guys going here. There's a, there's a very tight race between the guards. I think Vera Tucker is close to clear in regards to his draft stock in regards to the other, other guards. But Creed Humphrey, Landon Dickerson, Wyatt Davis, Trey Smith, Alex Leatherwood, if you want to throw him in with the guards as well. It's going to be a tight battle to see which is the next guard taken in this draft. And then 32, Tampa Bay, Levi Onruzuruki, the defensive tackle from Washington. They have taken D tackles from Washington before. Why not do it again? They did it with Vitavea. They're going to have Nagama Kinsu, who's 34 years old. 
improve the defensive tackle position, which is probably their biggest area of need, even though edge rusher is going to be a big need there as well. Go address that. And that is Mock Draft 3.0. So if I wanted to change it, and I might change it so, so you're aware if you're listening to this, I might change Trayvon Morig going up to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I might put Joe Tryon at the New Orleans Saints at 28. So just be mentally prepared for that if you haven't seen the draft yet and you're listening to the show right now. And as far as the quarterbacks go at the top of the list, here's what I'm going to do because I've switched it up. I I don't want to keep it that similar to last time. So let's go. This is hard. I don't like this. This is making this is making me upset. I don't like to choose between these four quarterbacks or these three quarterbacks. There's not four of them there. I love Trey Lance in Atlanta. I love that fit so much. It's my favorite fit in the entire draft. But I just can't bring myself to putting Justin Fields fourth or fifth out of these quarterbacks in this draft. It would be very surprising to me. And at Trey Lance, I've heard apparently a lot of people think that he could fall because of his inexperience, played only one season. I love Trey Lance. This isn't a damnation on Trey Lance and why I think he might go 12th to the 49ers, but I think that's what could happen. So, based on reports, not what I want to happen because I want Trey Lance to go to Atlanta, but I am going to do Justin Fields to the Falcons, Mac Jones to the Panthers, Trey Lance to the Niners. That's what I'm going to do. Done. That's my official mock draft 3.0. So let's run over that real quick again. Number one, Jacksonville going for Trevor Lawrence. Jets taking Zach Wilson, number two. Jamar Chase going to the Dolphins at three. Justin Fields to the Falcons at four. Then we have Penny Sewell going to the Bengals at five. Kyle Pitts, six to the Eagles. Jalen Waddell going to the Lions at seven. Mac Jones going to the Panthers at eight. Caleb Farley going nine to the Broncos. Patrick Sertan, the second, going to the Cowboys at 10. Devontae Smith, the Giants at 11. Trey Lance, the 49ers at 12. Rashawn Slater, the Chargers at 13. The Vikings, 14, going to Elijah Vera Tucker. The Patriots going Micah Parsons, linebacker from Penn State. J.C. Horn going to the Cardinals at 16. Quiddy Pei going to the Raiders at 17. Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa going 18 to the Dolphins. Kadarius Toney going 19 to the Washington football team. The Chicago Bears going Christian Derisaw, the offensive tackle from Virginia Tech to help improve their offensive line. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, they do end up trading for Russell Wilson. So eventually... This might just be the, the Seattle Seahawks pick. It might not even be their pick anymore. They might It might not be. We don't know. The Bears could be trading this to Russell, which is, oh, man, it's still very weird for me to think about that, about them tra- possibly trading for Russell Wilson. That hurts my brain. I think the Bears with a competent quarterback. I've never seen that. Most Bears fans have never seen it. Uh, 21, the Colts taking Gregory Rousseau, the edge rusher from Miami. Titans taking Jalen Phillips, another edge rusher from Miami. The Jets taking Aziz Ojolari, the edge rusher from Georgia. Pittsburgh Steelers, Jalen Mayfield from Michigan, the offensive tackle. Jacksonville, either Christian Barmore, the defensive tackle from Alabama, or Trayvon Morig, the safety from TCU. Cleveland Browns going 26, taking Zayvon Collins, linebacker from Tulsa. Ravens taking Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver from Minnesota. The Saints either taking Joe Tryon or Trayvon Morig, depending on who's available, here at 28. Green Bay Packers taking Greg Newsom, the second from Northwestern, the cornerback. Bills taking Tevin Jenkins, the tackle from Oklahoma State. 
the Chiefs taking Landon Dickerson, the interior offensive lineman from Alabama, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking Levi Onru Zuriki, Zuriki from Washington, the defensive tackle, to pair up with Vitavea and help get them younger and more athletic on the D-line. So that is Mock Draft 3.0. I hope you all enjoyed the show. I was a little rusty. I'm a little tired right now. I've got to get up really early in the morning, so I'm not really I'm not really ready for that. My mind's kind of racing a little bit, so I apologize for that as well. But I hope you did enjoy the show. If you didn't, I apologize about that. Make sure you go and read the Mock Draft if you haven't already. And I will see you all on Wednesday. Peace.